Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.18 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 12th, or no, it's the 3rd of December, 2020. This is episode 332 of Bitcoin, and we got some, uh, yeah, we, we, we're going to have to uh, get into this Larry Fink thing, the CEO of BlackRock. Um, everybody's like, you know, really giddy over the fact that he was talking about a Bitcoin in a favorable light and making Mark Carney, the ba- uh, Bank of England governor, kind of squirm in his chair. But I think we miss an earlier, an earlier time when Larry Fink was not so keen on Bitcoin. Let's hear what he has to say. Let me just say one thing on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, uh, it just shows you how much demand for money laundering there is in the world. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, it is just... It's an index. (laughs) It's an index of money laundering. I mean, that's all it is. That was 2017. Again, that was 2017. Just, you know, three short years ago, uh, I think Larry may have uh, gotten hit in the head. Maybe he fell down some stairs lately because now he thinks this about Bitcoin. Uh, and now related to Bitcoin, um, one of my important investors was on one of the television shows the last few days, and he spoke about Bitcoin and two of, you know, one monetary policy, two and three COVID. Um, the hits on BlackRock uh, on our website was 3,000 on COVID, 3,000 hits on a monetary policy and 600,000 hits on Bitcoin. So what that tells you is Bitcoin has, has, has caught the attention and the imagination of many people. Many people are fascinated about it. Many people are excited about it, but it's still untested. It's still a pretty uh, small market relative to other markets. It really, it can be, you know, we see these big giant movements every day. It's a thin market. And so, can it evolve into a global market? Possibly, certainly by evidence of the imagine, imagination of so many who want to learn about it or interested in about it, to me is a very telling sign. Another good example why understanding big data, like how many hits and all that really is a defining statement. And so we look at it as something is real, but it's still untested. It still, it still has many, um, we have to go through many markets to see if it's if it's going to be permanently real or it's going to be a variant of that sometime in the future. But lastly, because we're running out of time, I would just say having a digital currency has real impact on the U.S. dollar because having a digital currency makes the need for the U.S. dollar to be less relevant. Uh, the U.S. And, and so, and I'm not certain. I'm not talking about for Americans. I'm talking about for international holders 
of dollar-based assets. The question I would raise, and you know, maybe an, a, another time Mark and I could talk about it, does it change the need for dollar reserve as a reserve currency if there was a true digital currency that was, uh, that was separated uh, from, from dollar-based assets and other things like that? So many questions need to be answered before I could say, is it real and alive? Well, Larry, I'm glad you came around finally. Uh, yeah, uh, I think 12 years later, we're real and alive. Um, yeah. I just, there's really not much else to say about that. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, there is, because there are still some people that just don't quite get it. I would, um, never, I would never be part of a chain or community that changed the fundamental consensus rules of Bitcoin. That is what a hard fork is. That is literally what a hard fork is. Good old Vin Armani there being schooled by Guy Swan on Hotep Jesus's show. I, I don't know, man. I, hats off to Guy Swan for having to sit through that. I mean, I won't even watch it. I can't stand Vin Armani. I just, I, I can't do it. Any, I, I tried. I really did. But I mean, that man fell down into being the worst sort of shit coiner so fast. It was, there was no hope. So that's what I, I kind of don't understand why Guy did that. I mean, why waste your time? There, there's no recovery. There's no recovery for Vin Armani on this on this thing. And I cannot remember which shitcoin <clears throat> fork that he uh, went down. I can't remember if it's, I think it's BCH, but he might have even gone all the way to BSV. I'm not sure. I, and honestly, I really don't give a shit because there's better news out there in the world. Uh, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Chief Monkey uh, at hodler.rocks uh, says, Heads up, folks. Taking flight tomorrow. Starting price is zero. Satoshis make history and be the first bidder. Bitcoin art maximalism only at scarce.city. Now, if you remember, um, scarce.city is a lightning auction. Okay. It's like the only dedicated lightning auction house that there is right now. And they're having their very first auction today. Okay, that is today. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, today. All right, so it's the world's first auction on the lightning network via at scarce.city, or you can just go to scarce, you know, dot city. Uh, scarce.city here is their Twitter handle, and it's actually dot is spelled out D-O-T. Um, it is at scarce.city, go to the website, scarce.city. It is today, and it is at 7 p.m. UTC, which is 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Again, that is 7 p.m. UTC. That is 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And they will be auctioning off a piece of art. I don't know if Chief Monkey made the art. I, I don't know. Anyway. I think so because the name of it is Relentless Optimism by Chief Monkey, but it only shows this portion. It looks like a phoenix wing that's got like mosaic tiles in it. It's the portion that I'm looking at actually looks beautiful. So if you want to participate in the very first lightning auction ever from a dedicated lightning auction house, okay, and we'll get to the why I'm, I'm emphasizing that here in a sec. <clears throat> then you need to go to scarce.city today, 7 p.m. UTC. Uh, the reason I was emphasizing that is that it's not the very first lightning auction. It's scarce. This is the first auction on the very first lightning auction house. Okay. 
uh, Chief Monkey comes back on that tweet and replies to it himself saying, I must correct the messaging here. This is the first dedicated platform for Lightning auctions. There's been one auction conducted on Lightning before by your good friend and mine, Crypto Graffiti, with his brilliant Black Swan. Uh, credit is where credit is due. All right, so... <clears throat> Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that clarification came through. That's not, this won't be the very first lightning auction, but it is the first lightning auction that is from a dedicated lightning auction house. And that is important. Now let's get into the news. The oldest Bitcoin mining pool immortalizes a bullish Reuters headline. This is Helen Parts uh, very early this morning writing for Cointelegraph and says, Slush Pool, the world's oldest mining pool, put a Reuters headline about Bitcoin's 2020 bull run in a block on December the 2nd. That would be yesterday. Quote, dollar plummets on U.S. stimulus hopes. Bitcoin hits all-time peak, is now part of Bitcoin block number 659678. Announcing the news on Twitter, Slush Pool said that the pool's miners wanted to immortalize the bullish Bitcoin headline from mainstream media, making it live forever on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, here's a tweet. It says, our miners asked us to immortalize it. Uh, block 659678, Reuters, 1st of December, 2020, dollar plummets on US stimulus hopes. And then they blah, blah, blah. And they give the uh, uh, the actual op return or, or a screenshot of the op return from that particular block uh, that has that in it. It says Reuters published the article about the weakening U.S. dollar while Bitcoin was hitting all-time highs on December the 1st. In the piece, columnist Gertrude Chavez-Dreyfus noted that the dollar's drop coincided with news of a second COVID-19 relief bill being discussed in the United States Congress. Encoding the article in the Bitcoin blockchain seems to be a nod to the Genesis block, which contains a 2009 headline from the Times that reads, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. As Cointelegraph previously reported, Bitcoin hit a new all-time high on some crypto exchanges on December the 1st, surpassing $19,892. Amid an ongoing rally on crypto markets, mainstream media has significantly increased its focus on the industry and Bitcoin. Peter Schiff, oh, our good friend Peter, a gold enthusiast and one of the biggest Bitcoin naysayers, has opposed news agencies' coverage of the current crypto boom. <laughs> Quote, CNBC's excessive coverage of Bitcoin sets a new low in financial journalism ethics, Schiff said in a December 1st tweet. Oh, that poor man. Oh, the poor, poor man. So what are they talking about? Okay, if you haven't seen it, there's a, they're talking about this Reuters article. Uh, it was actually written on November the 30th, 2020, by Gertrude Chavez-Dreyfus. And here it is. We'll just go ahead and read the whole damn thing. Uh, dollar plummets on U.S. stimulus hopes. Bitcoin hits all-time peak. And she didn't capitalize Bitcoin. That's an interest. That's interesting. Bitcoin is it has a lower B when it says when it, when she writes this, and if if I'm reading this right, that means that she knows the difference between Bitcoin with an uppercase B, which is the network, and Bitcoin with the lowercase B, which is the token of value upon the Bitcoin network. It would be interesting if she actually did know that, and this is not a typo. But let's let's cruise on. The dollar fell on Tuesday to its lowest level in more than two and a half years as investors' appetite for risk increased on prospects of further fiscal stimulus from the United States as well as expectations of a solid global recovery. 
You wish. News of a proposed COVID bill sank the dollar further, as did the res- uh, resumption of talks between U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday about a stimulus package. The proposed relief bill of $908 billion would fund measures through March the 31st, including $228 billion in additional paycheck protection funds for hotels, restaurants, and other small businesses. Yeah, you mean the ones that you're closing down? Assholes. Quote, traders are looking for any reason to bid risk up, and that comes at the cost of the dollar said John Doyle, Vice President of Dealing and Trading at Tempest Incorporated in Washington. Quote, when you get a report that a a bipartisan stimulus deal can get done after hopes have been dashed, it's just another reason to bid risk up and sell the dollar, he added. Pelosi said on Wednesday or Tuesday, Mnuchin would review both bipartisan Senate proposal uh, proposals as well as her and Senator Charles Schumer's COVID relief plan. <clears throat> Currencies that thrive in times of risk appetite, such as the euro, sterling, as well as the Australian and New Zealand dollars, all rose against the greenback. The euro and the New Zealand dollar both hit two and a half year highs. Ooh, whoa, man. God, against the New Zealand dollar? <laughs> That's just kind of sad. Bitcoin was also on a tear, hitting a record high of just under 20 grand. The virtual currency was uh, last down 3.8% at $18,961. In afternoon trading, the dollar index fell 0.7% to 91.318, hitting 91.263, the lowest since April of 2018. The euro hit a two and a half year high versus the dollar at $1.20 and last traded 1% higher at $1.20, well, (laughs) 1.2049. Quote, the technical argument in favor of additional euro gains in the medium to, short to medium term is fairly compelling, said a Scotiabank in a research note. Quote, November price action overall was bullish for the euro. The breakout from the second half consolidation suggests upside potential towards a buck 25 to a buck 26. Sterling climbed to a three-month peak versus the dollar after Times Radio said Brexit trade deal talks have entered the tunnel stage of negotiations. The tunnel is a term for an intense final stage of secretive make-or-break negotiations. The pound was last up 0.7% to $1.34. Nagging worries about rising coronavirus cases have not provided the dollar with much safe haven support. Speculation is also growing that the Federal Reserve will act to support the economy through a tougher or tough winter before vaccinations become available. That should further weigh on the dollar. The Fed meets to set policy on December the 15th through the 16th. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell and Treasury's Mnuchin on Tuesday also urged Congress to provide more help for small businesses amid a surging coronavirus pandemic and concern that relief from a vaccine may not arrive in time to keep them from falling. The New Zealand dollar hit its highest level ever since June 2018, blah, 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 while the Canadian dollar also rose versus the greenback, which dropped to 0.4% to uh, 1.29 Canadian dollars. Data showed Canada's economy grew by 40.5% on an annualized basis in the third quarter, rebounding from a historic plunge in the second this story relies, or sorry, that, that 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 was like a note that they made. That's the end of the article. But I'm not sure if the Canada's economy actually grew by 40%. Really? I mean, they're, dude, they're, they're printing more money than the United States is. I, I don't know, man. I think that that's probably like skewed data, but whatever. 
Um, one thing is for sure, you're probably going to get fired if you don't own a Bitcoin. What? Dude, <laughs> don't force me, bro. Joshua Mapperson going to tell us about it for Cointelegraph. He's writing this like sometime last night. Uh, there could now be a career risk for a portfolio manager to not have Bitcoin in their portfolio. God, this is bullish. <laughs> Let's see, but CoinShares chair <clears throat> and former JP Morgan commodity trader Danny Masters told CNBC that the financial landscape has changed to the point where not having exposure to Bitcoin could be a riskier move for portfolio managers than investing in it. Interviewed on Power Lunch, the head of the digital asset management firm referred to the fact that in the past it was seen as risky for asset managers working in institutions to put money into Bitcoin. But he claimed that the perceived career risk for having Bitcoin in your institutional portfolio as a portfolio manager is fast migrating into a career risk for not having Bitcoin in your portfolio. And that's a really stunning development. Uh, CNBC host Kelly Evans summarized the statement, quote, that is perfectly well stated. You're not going to get fired anymore if you had some Bitcoin and you might get fired if you didn't, end quote. Holy shit. Masters believes the perceptions of Bitcoin as an extremely volatile asset had subsided because the volatility of other asset classes has proved to be a lot more volatile than people expected. He said that Bitcoin has shed its former negative stigma among mainstream investors and that it no longer is a question of if companies will get exposure to the digital asset, but when and how much, citing investments from Square, MicroStrategy, and PayPal. There's a lot more than that, dude. These companies are outperforming the market because they are going public with their exposure to Bitcoin. And as a result, quote, sentiment is electric. There is no doubt about it, end quote. In October, Masters stated that Bitcoin was increasingly resilient and in a very strong position as its price refused to falter despite news around charges being laid against the founders of major derivatives exchange BitMEX that would have driven price reductions in the past. Quote, having been around crypto during Mt. Gox, the China ban, Bitfinex hack, Trump comments, and many other market smashing stories that punctuate Bitcoin's history, I was struck by the lack of negative price movement, particularly around BitMEX. The fear and greed index is sitting at 92 out of 100, indicating a sentiment of extreme greed. These levels have not been seen since June 2019 when the index hit 95. Holy shit. So yeah, uh, I know you're. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're probably not a major portfolio manager, but if you are and you're not in Bitcoin, uh, you could get fired, bro. Damn. Grayscale, oh, oh, this is good. Grayscale follows Tesla by splitting Ethereum shares. Mm, let that one sink in. Let's just take a let's just take a pause and pour one out for the homies here. Ah, share splitting is usually seen as a bullish decision in traditional markets. Yeah, well, this isn't traditional markets now, is it? Okay, just really Grayscale is going to start splitting their 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 shitcoin fund at, like they're like it's Tesla or AT&T or something like that. This is from crypto.com. Navish Rusji is writing this one. Crypto investment firm Grayscale has announced a share split of its Ethereum trust fund, offering eight additional shares for each share currently held by shareholders beginning December the 17th. The outstanding number of shares for Grayscale's Ethereum Trust will increase from 29.5 million to 265.5 million. Oh, I, 
I don't know what Barry's thinking here. Grayscale's decision should enhance the marketability of its Ethereum shares by making those shares cheaper. See, I'm not going to even continue with this one. I'm just going we're, we're going to have a little discussion about this. A, as I've already stated, this is, these are not traditional markets. B, right, Grayscale is already a situation where you're, you're paying a premium to buy something that you could just buy on the open market and hold yourself, right? I'm not the biggest fan of Barry Silbert. Sometimes he says things that, that, you know, are, are bull, you know, either bullish or, or he under, seems to understand Bitcoin. But the fact of the matter is, is that he's, a, he's knee deep in shit coinery. Actually, he's neck deep. I mean, honestly, he's just so neck deep, it's not even funny. And I can only assume that this split is because they're anticipating that ETH 2.0 will go live, will work, won't break, and somehow or another when East US number one on uh, Amazon cloud services goes down that somehow MetaMask isn't going to take a giant shit. And I don't think any of that is true. I, I, I'm looking at, at Ethereum more and more like it's a circus than anything else. Almost as much of a circus as the whole BSV and BCH, you know, bullshit that's going on. But I guarantee, I, I think that that's what Barry's doing is that he, he's in, anticipating that lots of people are going to want to get into Ethereum. And I mean, I'll, you know, all we, what we really should be doing as Bitcoiners is reminding people that when AWS went off the air for US East one or whatever it was that uh, Infura went down and Infura runs is pretty much the backbone of the Ethereum network, which means that AWS is the backbone of the Ethereum network, which means it's completely captured. Ethereum has been 100% captured for at least a couple of years. I mean, if not way more than that, although it's only been alive for five years. So, you know, maybe this first year it wasn't so captured, but now it's it's evident that it depends on a private company's network to be able to function. And it's going to even get worse because now that they're going to move to proof of stake, they don't need any external support whatsoever. Okay, so like the, the miners that are mining right now that are supporting at least their side of the network, um, you know, they're going to be gone. They've been they've been handed their hat, and there's no coming back from that. I'm I'm sorry, but this is just this is all bullshit. And Grayscale <clears throat> is not doing their customers any uh, any favors by diluting their <laughs> diluting the shares here, because that's you know some people oh it's a share split's not dilution. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, in, in especially in a case like this, maybe not in something that they're actually producing. You know, a company that's actually producing goods and services. Uh, because Ethereum produces neither. <clears throat> Ethereum is a, apparently, we'll get into it later, but a crypto provider. And that produces, you know, that, that doesn't pr produce a good or service when it's not actual money. Bitcoin is the only service that's produced in this space that's worth a damn. But if they were making cars or something, and they were going to make more cars next year and more cars next after that, like, you know, Tesla or something like that, well, then shit, yeah, I can, I can see splitting your stock. But this is this is not that, all right. This is not legacy. This is not legacy market. And when you start, I have this gut feeling here <clears throat> that when you start treating these new markets like they're legacy markets, that you're going to break something, and you're going to get hurt. And not only are you going to get hurt, but everybody that laid their trust in you, also going to get hurt. 
How is this going to roll out by getting them hurt? I'm not sure. I really, I'm, I'm not sure at all, but I know that mixing oil with water, generally speaking, doesn't have very good results unless you keep it shaken. I don't know. It's just the whole thing is freaking odd, but let's get into this one. Uh, good, good reason for burner emails here. Uh, Australian crypto exchange accidentally exposes 270,000 customer emails. This is crypto potatoes. Uh, Jordan Lyunchev, and he is writing this one on December the 2nd. Uh, the Australian cryptocurrency exchange BTC Markets has inadvertently exposed more than 270,000 emails of its customers. The company apologized for the inconvenience and reassured that all other data, including user funds, is SAFU or, or safe. A user going by the Twitter handle SteveXRP.crypto took it to Jack Dorsey's social media giant and Reddit to first complain about BTC market screw up. The Australian based exchange later confirmed the breach on its official Twitter account, uh, saying earlier today, an announcement from BTC markets exposed client names and email addresses. This is deeply regrettable situation. And we apologize wholeheartedly for it. Yeah. Well, just that's not going to happen or that, that really doesn't help anybody anymore. 200 quarter million people got their emails exposed, which means that they are now, Every single one of them targets for fisher, uh, phishing attacks. The statement explained that BTC Markets uses an external system to send client-wide emails. Although the exchange has used this service for years without incident, including sending test emails, this time the testing didn't pick up the sample email addresses in a batch that were added to the same email rather than sent individually. Consequently, the names and email addresses of account holders were exposed. BTC Markets claimed that this process was instant. Therefore, it was not possible to stop the batch send once the error was realized. The CEO of BTC Markets, Caroline Bowler, later revealed that all account holders were affected because the emails were sent in batches. Oh, great. <laughs> the effects or the exchange said that it will self-report to the Office of Australian Information Commissioner and fully comply with the data breach reporting requirements. Furthermore, the company plans to conduct an internal review Despite the data leak, <clears throat> BTC Markets assured its users that the platform is still secure. No passwords were revealed and all customer funds are SAFU. Nevertheless, the exchange suggested users should enable two-factor authentication to enhance the security of their accounts. <clears throat> None of those reassurances seem to have had an effect on the users, though. The Twitter thread explanation was met with numerous complaints from customers. While most highlighted their disappointment with having their personal emails and names revealed, some took it a step further. One user claimed that BTC Markets name is, quote, now as good as dog shit, end quote. Ooh, yeah, it sounds like you might very well be pissed off. I would be too, but then again, I don't really have to worry about it because I don't trade. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities. <clears throat> we have uh, energy looks like it's just took a took a giant crap. Oil is down a point to $44.82. That's what's going to cost for West Texas Intermediate. Brent is down almost a point, $47.86 for that one. Natural gas really did shit the bed, dude. Natural gas is down almost five points to $2.6 for a thousand cubic feet of that stuff. Metals, gold looks like it's doing okay with a 1% rally. So it's going to come in at $1,847. Silver did better, uh, point and a third. Platinum did the best at 2.3 points. 
all to the upside, by the way. Uh, let's see here. Where's my index? Oh, there we go. Oh, uh, yeah, meh. We got a, we got a meh day coming up, uh, at least according to futures. Uh, Dow is down 0.06. S&P is down 0.05. And the S&P mini is down 0.07. So it looks like there's not a whole lot of movement going going to happen today. Although you never know. 19,303. <clears throat> it's the only number I give a shit about. Well, maybe except for this one. 19,346 because that's the high. It's over at Simex. And it looks like my low is at hit BTC, $19,291 for a Bitcoin. 346,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us right around 14,500 transactions on average per hour. Only 1.46 million BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours. That's 61,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average. Average transaction value is 4.2 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.036 BTC or about 700 bucks. <clears throat> Block times are low. Nine minutes, 17 seconds. We have 0.9 BTC being taken as uh, in fees on a per block basis and 141 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. A 3.96% uh, bump to the upside on hash rate takes us to 134.2 exahashes per second. Uh, what's Dogecoin doing? Ah, Doge is where Doge does what Doge does, 0 0.0035. With 37,786 transactions in the last 24 hours, it's beaten out Ethereum Classic and Bcash. Bcash has risen all the way up to, ooh, wow, you're doing 28,000 transactions in a day. Yay. Wow. Oh, boy. Clark, what do you got to tell me? There's 21,944 transactions waiting to clear. It will take 38 blocks to do that. There is 1,063 BTC in the Lightning Network. That is $20.5 million of liquidity across 7,850 7, nodes, 36,007 channels. We have a bump to the upside on Tor. 51.7% of the entire Lightning Network is now run over Tor nodes, and it has 549.8 BTC in it. That is 2,665 Tor nodes. And let's see, oh, pri uh, price, Clark is looking at 19,316. And when Clark runs the numbers, he gets 18,560,975.4 BTC in circulation. And that's gonna, at these, at today's prices, one BTC is gonna get you 10.4 ounces of gold. And we slipped a little bit against gold in market cap uh, terms. We are now, Bitcoin is now only 3% of gold's market cap. I remember when it was 0 0.03 of gold's market cap. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's going to do it for vitals. It's part two of the snooze you can use. We'll start this one with BTC Times. Uh, Shara Malwa writing this one. Uh, Bitcoin exchange TDEX launches beta daemon on the Liquid Network. The hell is this? Non-custodial Bitcoin exchange TDEX has launched a beta daemon to provide market makers on the Liquid Network with better tools to facilitate an efficient trading environment. As per a release shared with BTC Times, built by development and consulting firm Seven Labs, TDEX uses atomic swaps 
To instantly settle trades without an intermediary, the service uses the Liquid Network to facilitate peer-to-peer -peer trading, similar to how DeFi exchanges operate. Liquid is a sidechain-based settlement network for traders and exchanges that enable fast and confidential transactions, as well as the assurance or the issuance of digital assets. All Liquid assets, such as Liquid Bitcoin or LBTC, are supported for trading on TDEX. With the release of the beta daemon, market makers who continually provide quotes in the open market can adopt custom pricing strategies and implement dynamic pricing for their asset markets with pluggable or external price feeds from reliable sources, thus implying an enhancement in price flexibility and reliability as part of the future's roadmap. TDEX intends to facilitate daemon networks wherein Individual market makers can connect and form liquidity pools for asset pairs. TDEX developer Seven Labs joined the Liquid Federation, a consortium of finance companies that governs the Liquid sidechain, in July of this year. At press time, the Federation counts 52 members. Developed by Bitcoin infrastructure company Blockstream, the Liquid network was launched in 2018 in a bid to provide an alternative avenue for Bitcoin transactions carried out by traders and exchanges, specifically with the purpose to free up space on Bitcoin blockchain for sensitive transactions during times of high traffic. Bitcoin users can lock Bitcoin up on the Bitcoin main chain and unlock an equivalent amount of LB, oh God, LBTC on the Liquid sidechain to transact faster and with higher confidentiality. After a year of modest activity on the sidechain, Liquid saw an influx of Bitcoin in December of 2019, with the amount of LBTC in circulation growing from 96 to 2,593 over the course of half a year. Since the summer, that number has remained largely unchanged. I don't know, man. I, I got mixed feelings about Liquid. I really do. I mean, I like the guys over at Blockstream and everything, but, you know, sometimes I just go, how is this not like what Ethereum head or ETH heads are trying to say when they talk about how much Bitcoin is on the Ethereum network, which there's not, okay? They have this crap called wrapped BTC. And what you do is you lock up your, your Bitcoin and they give you this IOU token and somehow you're supposed to be able to get money by, I don't know, throwing fruit around or something. I'm not exactly sure how it works it, in either event. It, yeah, I don't know. When I hear about locking up BTC on a chain so that you can get some other type of BTC, I automatically just want to say no, right? Now, I like Samson Mo. I interview. He was like him and, and Wayne Wong Chong was the first two people that I've ever, ever interviewed on the, on the show. So I'm very appreciative for their time. But I got to be honest. I don't know, man. Stuff like this makes just makes my skin crawl. And I guess if you're a trader... I, I guess that didn't, not that it's okay. I guess that it makes sense. But my problem here is that I don't know what value traders actually give, except for maybe price discovery. But I'm not sure what those signals actually mean. Think about it. What what does it actually mean? What what good and I mean, what goods do you create when you're trading? You know, like stocks for stocks, or Bitcoin into stocks, or Bitcoin for shit coins, or shit coin for Bitcoin. Is there anything that actually falls out of this? Is there anything at all? Even like it, and even if you're yelling at me right now on the other side of the speaker saying it's price discovery, it's price discovery, are we sure? Are I mean, are we honestly with all this mess going on, is there anything but noise? Shit, I can look at just the whole DeFi clown show and start, you know, pointing and laughing and saying, I don't 
your price discovery sucks. First of all, your oracles are all compromised. So are, are we sure that it's not happening here? I'm just saying, man, you know, be careful with, with your Bitcoin. The, the safest play, if you really want to do risk management, dollar cost average in. If you can, don't spend it unless you want to experiment with how to use it, which is always good. And then, you know, use Lightning Network. Okay. You don't have to pay high fees. Go buy a magazine from Citadel 21. Go buy an enclosure from Crypto Cloaks. Uh, go to the Lightning auction that's going on on Scarce, uh, Scarce.City today. I, there's many ways that you, you can practice using Bitcoin without spending a whole much, you know, or like your entire wad, uh, you know, or a, a, really high, a really high fee if you want it confirmed in like the next block. You don't have to, right? There's many, many different ways. My favorite way is to put dollars on the strike, uh, LN strike app from Jack Mallers. Congratulations, by the way, Jack, on the Forbes 30 under 30. Um, and I just literally converted into Bitcoin right there and then use the LN strike wallet to go buy magazines from Citadel 21 if I want. And it could, so I get, I get the dual pleasure of using Bitcoin to support people that I respect in the space at the same time, burning dirty fiat down into a pile of ash. I mean, what could be better? It's like killing two birds with one stone. Bitcoin, <clears throat> Bitcoin rewards farming is coming. Rewards farming, not yield farming. Rewards farming. Although I really, again, I get a little, I don't know, what's the, what's the word? I get a little antsy when I, you know, when I hear the word farming when it has to do with Bitcoin. LBTC, wrapped BTC, DeFi, all these things make me nervous. I don't like them, which is why I don't engage in them. And that's my advice. Just don't engage. Um, Gerilyn Terzo is writing this one for Crypto News. As U.S.-based major crypto lending and trading company BlockFi just announced another Bitcoin rewards card, it seems that BTC spenders might be able to farm their rewards by combining already existing solutions. Okay, this is kind of interesting. Somewhat, it would be similar to what, oh God, DeFi yield farmers are already doing by moving their tokens between different lending protocols to maximize their returns. Yesterday, BlockFi made a splash with this announcement for a new co-branded Bitcoin rewards credit card with Visa, which pays users a 1.5% cashback in BTC for every purchase they make. And while BlockFi may be the new kid on the credit card block, it's not the only Visa branded card in town. As startup or crypto startup Fold announced the Fold BTC rewards card in April of 2020, which is now in beta. And guys over at Fold, dude, I'm 7,000. I've been 7,000 in line for like four weeks. Please print those cards, man. Print, like card printer needs to go burr a little bit more, bro. For Lolly, a crypto startup that has been in the Bitcoin rewards business for more than two years, the BlockFi card is a complimentary product. Quote, Lolly.com users earn an average of 7% Bitcoin back across 1,000 merchants and up to 30% at some merchants. 1.5% Bitcoin back will be a nice complimentary boost to users looking to earn the most amount of Bitcoin, Alex Adelman, co-founder and CEO of Lolly, told CryptoNews.com. Uh, in either case, how BlockFi's upcoming card compares to Fold Solutions? Well, let's take a quick look. The BlockFi card. First, it's a credit card. While BlockFi's Visa credit card won't launch until 2021, there are some details available for us to glean how it compares to the competition. 
So here we go with a bullet point list. BlockFi's Bitcoin rewards credit card is metal. Okay, I don't think that they actually mean, dude, this cool, man. It's, bro, it's metal, man, like metal coin. No, it's actually made out of metal, which is sweet because I like the feel of having something weighty in my hand. Upon approval, you receive your credit limit in USD. On that note, the card will only be available in the United States to start. Users earn 1.5% back in BTC on every single purchase, which is directed into your account on a monthly basis. There's a sign-up bonus of $250 US in Bitcoin for doling out more than $3,000 on the card in the first three months. Oh, God, paying people to, to spend their money. Pay the balance on time and you won't be charged any interest. The card has a USD, or sorry, a $200 annual fee. Okay, no, no, no. You just wiped out all the rewards unless you were just, I mean, unless you're just spending money hand over fist, that's already a a non-starter for me. Not even going to consider it. The card is being issued by Evolve Bank and Trust. Users must sign up on a wait list on the company's website or mobile app. Now we move on to the fold card. FoldCard is a product of the Visa FinTech FastHack program, which gives it access to the Visa brand, technology expertise, and other resources. However, it's currently in beta. Here are some of the features of the FoldCard. It is a prepaid debit card that is both virtual and physical. It is backed by Sutton Bank. The card works at any merchant that accepts Visa. However, this is also in the United States only. Depending on a plan, intro or premium, users earn between 1% to 2% back in Bitcoin for every item they purchase. Fees also vary depending on the plan. There is a, oh God, oh, okay, this is cool. There is a $150 annual fee for the users of the premium plan. Okay, so that's good. I'm not planning on doing premium. Rewards can be directed toward future purchases, saved or even withdrawn. Fold is rewarding users with 20,000 sats at the time of writing is $3.8, or Satoshi's, the smallest amount of Bitcoin equal to BTC, which is 0.0001, for joining its wait list in order to be contacted when they will let more people join into the beta group. At the time of writing, uh, never mind, they're just talking about the price again. Uh, I don't know why everybody does that, but okay, so cool. Um, And what they kind of didn't really touch on it, but let's go back here where it says... um, that what was I? farming blah 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 yeah farm the rewards by combining already existing solutions and there are some people that have become real masters at this shit like they use uh let's see the fold card or was it yeah the fold card to buy lolly cards uh and then uh use lolly the lolly cards to buy other stuff so they get the lolly reward and they get the uh the the fold reward so this is you know this is going to be a situation where maybe i can use my fold card to fund or uh use i don't know credit card to charge my fold card to then buy lolly cards and then i don't know you, you get what i'm saying is that you start stacking the percentages back across all these uh, solutions now there was an interesting tweet that I, I forgot to mention and this was like last week it may even been the week before but this guy says now I you know I can't vet it because I don't know the dude and I wasn't there, but he said that he paid his mortgage payment on his fold card and got four percent back. Could you imagine? I mean, like you know, let's say that you're in California and your mortgage payment is like five, you know, five thousand dollars, 
and you get 4% back just because you, you, you're going to spend that money anyway. You're going to burn that fiat down anyway. You might as well do it this way. And I'm just saying $5,000 and 4%, let's say it was, let's say $10,000 and 4%, you know, just for easy math or whatever. And how much in Bitcoin do you get back? And you do that every single month. You're going to spend the money anyway. It's not going to cost you any more. So that's something to consider. And when, if I ever get my fold card, that is exactly how I'm going to start paying. If I can, if, if I'm allowed to do this through my mortgage company, if I'm allowed to do it, I'm definitely going to start using the fold card to uh, draw, drop my mortgage payments onto, onto my mortgage guys. So just be aware it is, it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Um, it is the case that Cubans are turning to Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Dogecoin as the United States sanctions bike, bike, bite, B-I-T-E. Tim Alper is writing this one for CryptoNews.com and says, Another report has exposed how Cubans are sidestepping United States sanctions by using Bitcoin and altcoin remittance solutions with conventional wire transfers all but impossible between USA-aligned nations and the communist state. Stop being communist, guys. A report from Deutsche Wells Spanish language services found that some Cubans are now turning to altcoins, with some remittance deals being carried out on Ethereum and Dogecoin. <laughs> the outlet found that an estimated 10,000 people in Cuba now make use of crypto assets. The BitRemesis platform, which has grown out of nothing this year, has some three to four, 300 to 400 users Per its founder, who claims the platform's operators are working on ways to allow Cubans, or perhaps more accurately, their overseas-based family members, to pay electricity and other utility bills using crypto, BitRemesis claims that it has a high volume of transfers, but often in small amounts of USD, like 10 to 20 bucks, with remittances in the $100 range more of a rarity. CryptoNews.com has previously reported on the rise of BitRemesis, the platform sees overseas Cubans convert their fiat earnings to Bitcoin and essentially put the remittance requests up for a negative auction, allowing middlemen Bitcoin enthusiast base, uh, enthusiast base in Cuba to bid for the right to receive the BTZ, BTC converted to fiat and deliver the cash remittance by hand to family member recipients. The catch, of course, is that the middlemen can bid to receive a chunk of the remittance as a commission fee with charges of up to 25% being common, and the BitRemesis platform is also taking a cut. As also reported last month, money transfer programs or platforms such as Western Union have closed down their offices in the country following a spate of tit-for-tat sanctions imposed by leaders in Havana and Washington. This has hit some of Cuba's poorest citizens in the pocket, with many families in the country reliant for their livelihoods on remittances sent from relatives living and working overseas. According to the Havana Consulting Group and Tech Data, in the last 10 years, the Cuban population has received, whoa, holy shit, $30 billion in cash remittances. 90% of this money came from the United States. In 2018, the amount of cash remittances to Cuba was estimated at... 3.69 billion, which was a growth of 3.6% compared to 2017, the consulting firm said. So good God almighty, there you go. Uh, what else? Sorry. <clears throat> oh, you know what? Hold on for a sec. Okay, here we are. We're back here. Visa partners with Circle to integrate USDC for payments. Circle. 
wrong side of two uh, wrong side of everything bitcoin circle has just been a terrible terrible company in the space but uh, apparently they were able to dupe visa into partnering with them so to integrate its uh, the usdc stablecoin within the network of merchants visa a global financial services company and credit card giant has partnered with circle internet financial a leading crypto fintech startup to integrate the latter stablecoin according to forbes on december the 2nd Visa will be adopting Circle's USDC coin uh, or USD coin with, into its credit card platforms. The collaboration between both companies would see the use of the stable coin to send and receive payments. Just use Bitcoin. Although Visa will not be a custodian to the USDC, Circle will help the financial services giant choose credit uh, that will integrate the USDC into their platforms. But choose credit. That will integrate. Okay, whatever, dude. The report also noted that 25 crypto companies involved in Visa's fast track program would also be included in the partnership. Furthermore, Visa plans to roll a, out a credit card in the near future following Circle's completion of the company's fast track program. It would enable businesses to seamlessly carry out payments using USDC. Commenting on the proposition, Kui Sheffield, Visa's head of crypto, said, quote, This will be the first corporate card that will allow businesses to be able to spend a balance of USDC. Oh, who cares? And so we think that this will significantly increase the utility that USDC can have for Circle's business clients. Oh, man, this hurts. According to a recent report by Crypto Potato, Visa and BlockFi, a crypto wallet provider announced a collaboration to launch a Bitcoin rewards. Yes, I know. We just got finished with that. The, the, so everybody's getting into it. This is what this really means. I am not a fan of Circle. I am certainly not a fan of USDC. Somehow or another, these people, I don't know. It's it's like they're, re I think what it is at this point is that we're going to see more and more of the legacy financial systems start selecting shit coins for the exact same reason retail was selecting shit coins and ICOs because it's, we can get in early. You know, look at Bitcoin, it's already at $10,000. So we need this 40 cent piece of shit so that we can all get rich. Well, this is gonna be the same thing. You're gonna see MasterCard, American Express is finally gonna have to, to dip their toe in the water because that, that thing is dying really fast. Yeah, I, I, you know how many merchants that I see in my world that accept American Express? None. Because American Express decided one day that they were pretty much just going to cater to the top 1%. I don't know exactly when that occurred, but restaurants, for the most part around, at least in West Texas, I can't speak for, well, I can speak for quite a couple of states. West Texas through Central, from East to West, all the way up to the North part of New Mexico and Southwest Colorado, I see almost no restaurants or small retail shops taking American Express. So when MasterCard and Visa starts eating their lunch more by providing shit coinery to the masses, you can bet American Express is going to come along for the ride. And again, they will be too late. It doesn't really matter. I mean, is Diners Club still a thing? Because if Diners Club is still a thing, Diners Club will get into shit coinery just like retail got into shit coinery. Um, you know, when I look at it, 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 it makes me kind of realize that um, all this time that I thought these people knew what they were doing, 
they don't. They don't know what they're doing. And I'm not saying that we all know what we're doing either, but it's become evident that we have, maybe I'll just group us all together. None of us have the slightest clue of what the hell we're doing when it comes to money. Humans in their relationship with money is like humans in, in our relationship with death. One, it, we can't get away from it. So therefore, we have to develop systems around it, like death. One of the earliest you know, parts of figuring out that humans got into religion was because of burial and burial rites. And then as burial, like, you know, generally speaking, animals, they don't bury their dead. Now, elephants will like play with the bones of their dead. And that's, we think that that's sort of like a ritual. We're not sure. We can't ask them. But for the most part, most animals leave their dead on the ground where they're laying. They're not going to dig a hole, you know, and put them in there. You know, they're, they're just not. Is it because we have opposable thumbs? I don't know. I've seen dogs dig some pretty damn deep holes with their paws, right? It's not like dogs wouldn't have been able to, like, get five or six of their, you know, brothers and sisters around and dig a pretty big hole, roll the dead body of their kin into it, and then, and then bury it over like a bone. But they don't do that. Humans do that, right? And I, I think we, we have this situation going on here with money that we can't escape it. We cannot escape the fact that we have to be able to tell stories of value to each other in order to get the things that we don't know how to do for ourselves. Like, could you imagine having to know, be, you know, not only know how, but be damn good at all the following. Cutting wood, fishing, making fishing gear, uh, building houses, making nails. I mean, dude, read eye pencil. I mean, if you want to know exactly how bad this shit is, if you read iPencil and don't come away understanding that we have to have this technology, money, as a technology, if you come away from reading iPencil without that firmly sat in the middle of your, of your brain, then there's no hope for you. And it's just like death. We don't understand it, yet we have to fucking deal with it, okay? So what did we do? We invented religion, all right? I, I do believe in God, but I think that God is separate from religion. Religion is a thing that mankind built to understand or at least deal with things like death, okay? Because to this day, we don't know what happens on the other side of death. We have no, no clue. We have no hope of ever understanding that until we ourselves actually die, right? So <clears throat> that's been with us for 50 millennia. 50,000 years ago, as far as we can tell, was the first time that we think that we're looking at burial situations between, you know, uh, in, in, in the human species. That's 50,000 years of religion. And we've got, you know, Francis Coppola is talking, you know, has been on a rant lately about, well, actually not just lately, but she's talking about how we're all cultists in Bitcoin and that it's just a religion to us. And I'm like, Honey, we've had 50,000 years of religion, and religion comes about because of two things, money and death. Why do you think this shit's any different? Why do you think it's strange that there would be some kind of religious fervor around something like Bitcoin? Something that takes away the power of the state in a very, very... That's not that's not even a sly roundabout way, honestly. Like, was it me? Uh, I can't remember who said Rothbard or somebody like that said that. It is 
it's a taking candy away from a baby while the mother is watching in broad daylight on the street. Okay. So with, with this kind of thing wrapped around the importance of money, almost as a religion, and that's been that way for probably, you know, like death probably came first and then money came second. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. In either event, what I'm saying is, is that these things are so vitally important to the human condition that yes, you're going to get retail who's dabbled into the next shit coin because maybe that'll be the one that makes them rich. In this case, we have legacy financial, uh, re- or legacy financial institutions who are grasping at straws. And that's why when Visa's like partnering with Circle to offer a USDC, I don't know, man, that doesn't even make any sense. I'll, I mean, it makes, it makes sense insofar as why they're doing it, but it doesn't make any sense as to product market fit. I have no, I have absolutely no need to use USDC in any format whatsoever, but <clears throat> they're probably going to run into problems because stable coins get yet another headache in the United States and the Ethereum camp feels attacked too. Shad Fadilblaz, I can't pronounce his name. Fadil Pasik, I think. I don't know. Was writing this one on December the 3rd for CryptoNews.com. It says, The Stablecoin Regulation Act proposed in the United States Congress has once again stressed an important difference between centralized and decentralized projects in terms of regulation. There is much discussion currently in the cryptoverse over the recent announcement of an act that seeks to regulate stablecoins within the United States. A major one is that the act provides once more that decentralized options need to be developed more as anything that is remotely centralized will be suppressed by heavy regulation. Quote, this is why it's imperative to focus on truly decentralized and permissionless finance down the entire stack, argued Eric Connor a product researcher at blockchain startup Gnosis, quote, any centralized points of failure will be stifled by regulation written by those who do not understand what we are building, end quote. Bitcoin educator Andreas M. Antonopoulos also argued that the act will not be enacted, but what's interesting about that is, quote, it can only apply by definition to centralized fiat-backed stablecoins, therefore making decentralized alternatives even more attractive, end quote. <laughs> yes. That's true. This week, U.S. Congresswoman Rashida Talib, or however you pronounce her name, with Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia, and Chuy's in quotes like he's a boxer or something, and Chairman of the Task Force on Financial Technology, Representative Stephen Lynch, introduced the so-called Stablecoin Tethering and Bank License Enforcement Act, or STABLE. <laughs> AKA the Stablecoin Classification and Regulation Act of 2020. The announcement said that this act would, quote, protect consumers from the risks posed by emerging digital payment instruments. Oh, they're so, they're like cobras. They'll just pop up out of the ground and kill your ass dead. Anyway, such as Facebook's Libra and other stable coins offered currently in the market by regulating their issuance and related commercial activities, which they find particularly necessary during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, significantly for all uh, current and future issuers of stable coins wanting to do business in the United States, they would have to obtain a banking charter, get an approval from the Federal Reserve, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and appropriate federal banking agencies provide conduct on ongoing and on an ongoing analysis of any potential systemic risk and obtain FDIC insurance or otherwise maintain reserves 
at the Federal Reserve to ensure that all stable coins can be readily converted into the United States dollar on demand. I wonder when Nixon will close that window. I'm just saying, man, this is like history doesn't repeat, but it does often rhyme. Many, but many, such as Melton Demir's CoinShares chief strategy officer, argued that the act would have the opposite effect of what the trio stated they wanted to accomplish. And to quote her tweet, this has the opposite effect. Cryptocurrencies lower the cost of servicing populations that have historically been excluded from the banking sector. Raising costs and compliance obligations forces companies to cut access for unprofitable clientele. Please, no more clowning. And she's got the little clown emoji there. So she's actually she's actually tweeting or uh, retweeting uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib or Labe or whatever her tweet, which demonstrates a deep misunderstanding of what's going on here. Let's read it. Preventing cryptocurrency providers from repeating the crimes against low and moderate income residents of color traditional big banks have is critically important. That's why I'm proud to induce or introduce the Stable Act. Okay. Preventing cryptocurrency providers. Can somebody tell me what a cryptocurrency provider is? Think about that. Cryptocurrency provider. Am I an internet service provider? Am I, uh, I don't know, am I like, you know, there's all manner of providers. Uh, there's a, there's, you know, well, okay, let's just say there's all manner of providers, but I've never heard of a cryptocurrency provider before. Is that like an ISP? She doesn't understand any of this. She looks at Ethereum and says, well, they're providing a cryptocurrency. No, no, they're providing a protocol. Is that what she means? Cryptocurrency protocol providers? And even then, you know, once you get into truly decentralized systems, there's no such thing as a provider. It just is. It's an organic growth. And yet the legacy systems, whether financial, regulatory, or whatever, will look at these things and they will not understand that they are organic growths. Therefore, they will try to kill them. But what they don't understand about this one is this is like a mushroom, man. This is like full-blown, you know, organism that lives underneath the soil. And all you can really do is, you know, smash the, the mushroom that you see pop up above ground when that's about 0. 0.000000. Let's just say 10, let's see, 1 times 10 to the negative 530th. Okay, that's a lot of zeros before the one and after a decimal place. That's how much mass of the organism you're actually trying to kill. And that's only that's all that you can that's all that you can see. There's a mushroom or a colony, right? It's a fungal colony is the better way to put it in Oregon that is has more mass than the largest terrestrial animals times like a thousand. Something like that. It covers 600 or 700 acres, which is larger than a square mile, in, if you want to get down to it. And at the edges, where it's eating the forest away, is the only place that you will actually see fruiting bodies or what we know as mushrooms. It's a honey mushroom, by the way. The rest is all underground, and it is huge. It's humongous, and it's been there for centuries. You're not getting rid of this Congresswoman Rashida, so give it up. Continuing on, the 116th Congress will end on January the 3rd, which is the final deadline for this regulation to pass. Diem, or the Diem Association, is the new name for the Facebook-backed Libra Association responsible for developing the Libra Stablecoin Project. 
And as reported last week, Libra is rumored to launch a single coin backed one-to-one to USD reserves as early as 2021. I'm just going to stop right there because it just gets it just gets stupid after that. So what we've seen here is that Libra has no other choice than to become a, yet one more stable coin pegged to the United States dollar. And all of them are going to be regulated, not out of existence, but to the point that you might as well just be using fiat currency. And that's all it is anyway. But this really puts, you know, this puts the lights, whistles, and bells all over it. Um, just learn Bitcoin. That's all I can really say, you know, and, and I still have to learn it every single day. I'm not good at some aspects of it. I'm not, I, actually, I'm going to say this. I'm not good at many aspects of Bitcoin because there's absolutely so much there to know. It's, it, it's, it's impossible to keep up with, but at least learn how to do it, you know, a transaction on main chain, learn how to, you know, uh, get Either, or either figure out how to use a lightning node by building one yourself or renting one. There are several companies or a couple, at least a couple of companies that do that. And you can go like, if you want to support this show through the lightning network and learn how to do that, <clears throat> you can go to Sphinx chat and go to tribes dot, you know, get, get the app on your phone, uh, the Sphinx chat app, and then on your phone, get, uh, or go navigate to tribes dot, uh, chat and look for Bitcoin and, and then when, when you see it, tap it and it will kind of open up and you'll see a QR code, which doesn't seem to work. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, but there's a join button. And if you're doing it on the same phone that you're, that you already have the Sphinx chat app, when you hit join, it will automatically bring up Sphinx chat app and you, and it will allow you to join right from there. And then you can go to my, join my tribe. And then once that happens, whenever you go to my tribe, then at the, look at the very bottom, wait a few seconds, and then all of a sudden a new bar will appear and it will be the latest episode of the podcast. And you can tap, tap that bar and you can listen to my podcast and stream me Satoshis on the Lightning Network live every single minute that you're listening. I, you know, my suggestion, set it to three Satoshis <clears throat> because... In my mind, three Satoshis is three bucks well within my lifetime. That's the way that I'm looking at it. So I don't want you to spend too much on, on listening to it. So, you know, set it to one, set it to three. It goes as high as a hundred. Don't do that. Somebody did that the other day and I feel kind of bad, but there's no way that I can really figure out who that was. So I can't really give them the money back in either event. Learn how to use at least these things. Okay. Don't worry about stable coins and all that stuff. That's going to be throttled so hardcore because they set themselves up. They set themselves up as centralized. They set themselves up with offices and, um, you know, email servers and other kinds of servers. And then they have banking, reg- you know, they, they, they're so tied into the legacy system that they're no different than the legacy system at this point. Circle is a legacy financial company. It's not a Bitcoin company. It's not a cryptocurrency company. It's a legacy financial institution now. A lot of these things are going to go that way. Kraken's getting real close to that, if not 100% already, as well as whoever else got a banking charter in Wyoming. And I, I like the things that they're doing in Wyoming. I really do. But the more we allow legacy, you know, we, the more we look at this new landscape with, through the lenses of legacy financial systems and regulations, we're not going to really be able to see the truth. We're just going to see this thing through rose-colored glasses that. Honestly, if we look at it too long through these rose-colored glasses, 
the legacy financial institution will find inroads. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll be able to, to use us to see the cracks as to where to go. Stop looking at this stuff with regulatory lenses. Stop looking at this stuff with financial legacy bullshit. It's not going to do anybody any good. But that is going to do it for the morning roundup. Trainwrecked is brought to you by a good friend of Francis Coppola. Her name is Amy Castor, and she says Bitcoin is dependent on keeping the miners happy. If that takes changing the code to increase the block reward, it will happen. But Bitcoiners like to pretend this is an improbable event, like an asteroid hitting the Earth. Honestly, even Francis Coppola understands Bitcoin better than Amy Castor does. If you've been in the space for any length of time, then you would have already, you'd already know why Amy Castor just doesn't get it. We've been in here for 12 years now, and I got in in 2015. So I'm in for five years and there's, you know, six, seven years of his prehistory that, that I don't have. I mean, I have it. I, I understand what happened with Mount Cox and, and these people, but I wasn't there. And there's a difference. There really is. You can know the history and that's one thing, or you could have been part of the history and that's quite another thing. Nothing makes you understand history than actually living in it. <clears throat> but if you saw... S2X and the block size debates and UASF and the New York agreement and all time highs and all the FUD and everything that went along with everything from, you know, 2015 to 2017 um, and, and all the, the stuff that's happened after um, you, you'd understand why this is ridiculous. Okay. No, no. All that would happen is that a hard fork would form and yet one more shitcoin would be sent to its untimely demise. Actually, not untimely. Uh, we're still having to deal with BSV and, and BCH. So, um, But that's all that would happen. It would result in a hard fork. There'd be like, yes, there'd be somebody who's like gets all pissed off and says, we need more block reward. And then the rest of us will say, fuck you, go off and die. And they will, and they'll go off and they'll, they'll fork the code and they'll make the block size increase or not the block size, but the block reward, or they'll add a, a tail emission to it, or they'll do something. And you know what my node will do? It will immediately not talk to that chain. I'm not going to run that. I, as a Bitcoin user and as somebody who supports the network, I have a choice as to which software I choose to run. I will not be running any software that has anything to do with a block reward increase, uh, an inflationary tail emission, or anything even remotely looking like it. Okay? So Amy was apparently wasn't there during S2X. And that's too bad because when your ignorance is on display at that level, because let's see, what was Amy Castor have here? Uh, let's see, she's an independent reporter. Uh, yeah, she's an independent, I love her, her bio, independent reporter, Bitcoin, blockchain, that kind of stuff. I like to write about financial fraud. DMs are open cdisclaimer.com. She's out of Boston and has her own little website, amycaster.com. So she writes about Bitcoin blockchain, yet she doesn't understand the fundamental rules that apply 
to not only the protocols, but the way the protocol interacts with its human hosts. That's what we are. We are hosts. We get so it's a symbiotic relationship. We make sure this thing lives and it makes sure <clears throat> that our wealth is maintained. It's a good relationship. And it's the first real relationship between, you know, uh, software and humanity that I think we've really had. I mean, at a fundamental level. And, and at a fundamental level, Amy Castor just absolutely fails to understand a damn thing. So now we really do absolutely do need a joke here. So we'll go to, my, <clears throat> to the old standby. Dad says jokes here. I don't get why people buy into the flat earth theory. I mean, the arguments for it aren't even well-rounded. That's good jokage. That is good jokage. All right, we're over. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. But, you know, uh, you might want to be careful about this Vin Armani character. Because like Amy Castor, uh, Vin Armani doesn't understand a single thing about this space. And he made that very evident at the first of the show when I uh, played you the clip with him and Guy Swan on Hotep Jesus's uh, podcast or or YouTube channel or whatever, where they were debating. And the issue the issue here is that Vin set himself up a couple of years ago as some kind of cryptocurrency master. Immediately, immediately went into shit coinery almost like within I think six months, and all the time says he really understands this stuff, but he doesn't understand what a hard fork is. Be the master of this knowledge. Okay. Be somebody who really does know what this stuff is and what it means, because honestly, there's going to be a need for, uh, you know, at least on contract basis, um, uh, people that can tell you, you know, or, or other businesses what the technology is, how to use it and then be able to implement it and then be able to take care of it. You know, be that's going to happen. But if you're an idiot like Vin Armani, you're going to get people in trouble and you're going to be liable for that shit. He doesn't understand a single thing and neither does Amy Castor and neither does Francis Coppola and somehow or another going from the bottom to the top there. I've covered everything from, you know, retail YouTube users all the way up to people that write for the financial times. And none of these people actually understand this shit. Don't be that person. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.